Released on Sunday, June 7th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 87. A sense of urgency. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. My name's Jason, and joining me for this episode, I've got two great hosts. Uh, first up tonight is Craig. How you doing, Craig? Uh, doing okay. I'm a little disheveled. I just got back from uh, floating on a local river. Uh, spent about six hours on a kayak. Wow. Okay, you have to tell us about that a little bit real quick. And, and also with us, also with us for this episode is Lee. Lee, what's up? Uh, not much. I'm a little disheveled too because I ate some cookies before and actually walked down the stairs to come here. Oh no, sounds rough. <laughs> so tonight's episode will all be about what gets you disheveled, I guess. So, so Craig, you were, well, well we have to, we have to first admit that because we're very transparent at this agile life that, um, so Craig was a little late tonight. So Craig, you need to tell us a one minute story about what was going on on the float trip. That sounds, uh, that sounds interesting. Um, well, the, it had rained a lot uh, in the past couple of weeks, uh, so the rivers are up. Uh, they're fast. Uh, there was one current that was just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, my wife flipped about three times. I flipped once, which is fairly rare for me. And uh, we usually do canoes instead of kayaks, so we weren't quite used to the kayaks. So it's funny. I have a bonus pick that I'll just roll out there that I love about your story, Craig. Because um, I know uh, recently we did an episode about the Agile Games Conference that we recorded on the Saturday evening of the conference. Then on Sunday, we had the open space. And there was a session at the open space where a few of us, we went on a nature walk around the campus of MIT. And it was just fun to, like, get out. So this is my calling to everyone this time of year, if you're in the U.S., you know, you're on a team go out and do something outside. It will help you think better. And if you, if you got time, go for a flow trip. That sounds like an awesome team building activity. So, so tonight, what, what should we talk about tonight? Uh, gentlemen. So you had mentioned something, uh, I think a couple episodes ago, I'm not sure if it was on the air or, or off, uh, but you had mentioned the term change leadership. And I was like, that sounds like an amazing concept. So I, I wanted to know more. And uh, so, you know, some things about it and we're going to ask you some questions about it and sort of explore and see what that's about. Oh, OK, so what we could do is take the questions that I wrote up for Craig for us to ask Craig and you guys can ask me what they are. How about that? <laughs> That'd be funny. All right. So what what what's your definition of change leadership? What, what is it? Where did it come from? Well, so change leadership and and for a little bit of this agile life history, uh, this it, I know I shared the idea. It was on the episode where we actually talked about the agile buffet since Lee was here, and um, so it was a while back. I think it was uh, probably back in the '70s sometime. Anyways, so change leadership is from uh, John Cotter, and what he did is he took he took a a look at at the way that change is facilitated in organizations, and and realized that at many times. You know, people are trying to mandate change and it doesn't always work well. And, you know, we could talk. I, I hope we're going to share some stories here 
about when we've been in environments where various agile practices may have been mandated against the will of the people doing the work. Cotter took a, a different approach to that, very much aligned to elements of servant leadership, and talks about you know wanting to influence activity and really get people excited and get people almost to volunteer to change by creating a sense of urgency. And Lee, Lee, is that making sense here? What I'm saying? Yeah, that that's, it makes sense. The, the whole sense of urgency thing. I'm not sure exactly how you do that from a management side without instilling fear, but, uh, and I, and I hope that's not the intent. So I saw a, a tweet sized sort of, summary of this and it was if you're mandating change you're doing it wrong you should be inspiring change yeah and i think that's exactly what what cotter was going to and in his when he put this on this kind of manifesto together and it's um we'll make sure to put a few references for links for those that want more of the textbook definition as well as books and there's even he's even got some videos out there that have been produced by by harvard that where where john cotter defines it himself but but the, the genesis of it is it's really, again, encouraging people to change and have an organization evolve really by influence rather than by mandate. So, so how does this fit in with Kaizen, the, the continuous improvement processes? That's an interesting, uh, that's a great question, Craig. I'm, is, it, is it the same thing? Is it sort of the, the, a leadership style or structure for Kaizen? Uh, or had they not really thought of that? I mean, it seems like almost the same thing, but sort of from a different perspective. It's, it seems ways. to me, let me, let me take a stab at this, Jason, and correct me if I get this off. But from what I know of Kaizen, it seems like it would be a tool for change leadership, not necessarily a, a, um, just a different way of saying it. Yeah, I think of, I mean, the way I think of it as change leadership is kind of a mindset. And in the moment, I think we're going to go through kind of the eight steps that John Cotter outlined. But Kaizen is almost just a practice of, of, you know, kind of saying that you're always working towards improving something. You're, you're measuring your outcomes and you're conducting experiments and then assessing the outcome of the experiments. And you repeat, you iterate through that over and over again. And that's really, I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, that that's really what the Kaizen mindset is. Change leadership goes into this eight step process which really talks more about the who and the how of how to do a Kaizen cycle potentially. Okay. That sounds, that sounds interesting. So there's these eight steps and I guess we can read through them and, and ask you maybe to expand on them and we can discuss each one. Yeah. Or, or actually what I think we should, what would be really interesting for our listeners would be maybe we could tell some stories about when we feel we may have experienced these and they went well or they didn't go well. So all right, Lee, you want to start with number one, read it out, and we'll discuss? Well, this is kind of what uh, uh, Jason was trying to lead us into, I think, was uh, number one, which is really creating this sense of urgency. And the explanation here is uh, to craft and use a significant opportunity as a means for exciting uh, people to sign up and change their own organization. Um, do, you, do you want to expand a little bit on that, uh, Jason? Well, I guess I'm going to think about right off the back, um, almost jump in and think about agile because I think I see I see a lot of organizations that almost just say, um, let's just do agile or, you know, we're going agile. 
And the problem is if you're on a team or you're an engineer, like, you know, Lee, you're the first person that comes to mind because I know you sometimes say, okay, this is dumb. You would sit, you might sit there and be like, so what? What I like what Cotter challenges, challenges leadership to do here is to say, tell people why, why are they, why should they sign up? So, Hey, we're going to change how we write software so we can release this new product faster than we ever have before because we're trying to capitalize on a on an opportunity in the marketplace. Well, but you're because, always starting. It's the because that's important there. Aren't you always going to have an opportunity in the marketplace? How does how does it? At what point does that opportunity in the marketplace become significant? And and. As as the impetus for how do you, for how do you how do you turn that into inspiration for your employees is the thing right, right. well you've got to I, I think personally you've got to make them feel that uh, that excitement as well I mean we kind of have done that in uh, in a couple of places where we've gone into where the the whole the very fact that they're hiring a company that's going to help them uh, uh, embody this change. Um, you can put a marketing around that and either you're going to get people that are going to get excited about it or sometimes you're going to get people that are like, they're just going to embed themselves even, even harder. So it's got to be done in a, in a, in a good way. So by, by bringing someone in, do you mean basically natural transformation? Um, I'm not sure I, I followed that. You said bringing a, a new team in or a new group of people in. It sounded like you meant like a, a, a team well, for your company that goes to some other company to do an agile. Transfer. Yeah, I was I was just using that as an example that 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 has uh, I've seen that very fact be the impetus, which is not really a good uh, a good answer, um, but at least it's something. Well, well, let me say here's what I like about this, and, and to me. This this goes back to something I know I talk a lot about, and I get a lot of questions about what is the role of management in Agile or leadership in Agile. And and th- I love what Cotter does here with the, with step one, which says that you know if you say we're going to start an, an we're going to start an Agile initiative, you leadership needs to put together you know they need to do the five whys or something to say why are we doing this and then test it, go out and show it to the people who are going to be involved and say does this make you excited? Yes or no. And like have people vote. And if people vote, no, guess, <laughs> guess what? Leadership Try again, you got some more. No. And I'm serious because you know, people leadership, sometimes they say, and, and again, they'll, they say, we want to adopt agile. Great. They hire an agile, an agile consulting firm comes in, starts coaching the people and people get frustrated because you know, Oh, we need to start, you know, testing. We need to start pairing. We just, you know, we need to start fixing the bill whenever it breaks. And, the people may not know why, or they may not see why the organization needs to change. That's a leadership problem. And so what I love here is even before you get too deep down the, ro- the other eight steps, keep my words on the first one here, leadership can measure, are they producing influence in an effective way to influence and inspire the people in the organization? So I think this is great. So, so- I-, I like that it has a reason. So basically... There should be a, should be a reason that you're changing that everyone buys into. I think is the key here, not just oh we need to go faster, right? That's not really a very good reason, and people aren't going to get excited, you know. Oh, hey, we're going to have a new product, and uh, we want to do it faster. But that's that's not what he's asking for. He's asking something real, something different. Let's 
but, but it's, it's not, actually got to be this, this kernel of a reason for a change. But keep in mind that this is not a, it's not a, here's why we're changing. They, I think what, uh, what we're getting at here is really the, the use of some other event. Like we just have, we've decided to change our, our company focus and we're now going to be adding this new line into our company. And this is going to be our catalyst for bringing about this this new age, this new uh, version of our company, right? That has nothing to do with Agile. Yeah. But you can now use that as your catalyst for change in like and that. bringing in some of those in, those practices. Yeah. Catalyst for change. That's a good phrase. And the key thing I love about this, more so I think than some of the other steps, is it drives a feedback loop because it says again, as I mentioned, leadership needs to build this message. And they need to keep crafting this message. So if they, you know, if they just hire a firm or they hire a creative agency that gives them something that doesn't resonate with the people that are going to be impacted, guess what? You know, do do it again. So uh, it's kind of like a product. If you put out a product and nobody wants to buy it, you're still out of business. Yeah, that's good. Okay, should we move on? That was number one. So. I think we've determined what we'll be talking about tonight. We're going to go through these eight steps um, and hopefully find some some great advice here. So, uh, so number two, um, Craig, what do you what do you share share with us what it is? All right, number two is build a guiding coalition. Assemble a group with the power and energy to lead and support a collaborative change effort. So I I think it's really important the the key words that are in that the power and energy to lead and support that change, right? Um, they have to have the responsibility and the ability to actually get things done when, when necessary. And they've got to have the energy. And I read energy here is not just energy, like in stuff that, uh, that oozes from Jason Tice. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the motivation to go along with that energy to actually go and do these things as well. My, my first question is what, what does power mean? And, and I would hope that that would mean empowerment and empowering everyone to be able to, to make those changes. That's great. But you also have to have people that, that if there's something at a higher level that needs to change, they actually can get something done as opposed to begging their boss. Right. Well, eh, that's sort of what, empowerment is though is not having to beg your boss and knowing that you are able to make decisions without your boss's you know um authority basically you have authority along with responsibility well oh. uh, that, that always bugs me when people say you have responsibility but you don't have authority for anything so you're just basically going to take the fall when you can't even make a decision <laughs> right. or, or if you think about this as a kind of a again this is an eight-step process so you've defined the opportunity and so basically anyone who's going to volunteer to be part of this or who's going to be asked to be part of the core group that drives this, you are giving them the power to work towards that significant opportunity. And Lee, I think because some of the things he talks about later, later on, where we talk about volunteers and stuff, when you what you mentioned about energy is very true. And, and I've experienced this many times where you go to someone and you you ask them to think about hey, here's our new cool thing we're doing because it's going to change the world. And they're like, I don't care. I don't know. That's a <laughs> dumb idea. I mean, you're going to get you're going to get shot down a lot potentially. And so I think that's where this idea of having energy 
is important for you to be able to sustain your own involvement in supporting the change effort. I think the key word there was care. So when you find people that care, they'll have that energy to lead. Well, and, and the other thing that's key about this that, that actually John Cotter mentions in the book that supports it is this idea of saying that the change is more effective when it's, it's perceived as being encouraged and driven or yeah, encouraging, yes, I guess it is being driven uh, by a group. So it's not just this is Jason's project or Lee's project. It's like it's a group. And when you think about building this guiding coalition, this is typically something that an executive sponsor would do. It makes sense to use a stakeholder map to say, let's get people involved in this who have a network of people around our organization. So that when we get to later on, when we talk about getting people involved, they can connect and, and, and recruit people to help out. So my only issue with this, uh, and Jason, maybe you can address this, is that this almost feels like it could turn into top-down management of the the group that they that your uh, executive chooses is all of your high-level managers, and suddenly it's the same thing as your managers telling you to do stuff. Hmm. Well, we, we talked about that in I think episode eighty-six, last episode, where. Um, sometimes when you have a separate group in charge of agile, people feel that they're the ones in charge of making change. And so those other people don't have to make change. And we, mm-hmm. we kind of beat that one to death last episode. <laughs> well, the, uh, but the- yeah, it's, it, it's a problem. So I think this coalition would be more like, um, the, the concept of a, an agile champions group. Um, so they're not necessarily the, the management as much as, um, the people that are interested in in volunteering to lead such an effort. Yeah, well, oh, the, but the key word here is coalition, and I guess I'll share this. Um, I'll go on the record here saying, yes, I have done political work in my life, and if you ever build a political coalition for campaigning, <laughs> you you get people of all different levels involved in the coalition because they have different connections to different people to to build influence. So there is some science behind this idea of building a coalition and saying that, is this a coalition that people are going to want to volunteer to align with? And if people simply see it as a group of, of upper level managers, I think Lee, that's where your, your, um, your concern could come into focus. And so anyone who's going to try to follow this method, I would say definitely be mindful of not having everyone from a specific level of your organization be in the coalition should be a mixed group. Sounds good. We got anything else to discuss on that on point two? No, I think we could move on. On three. Uh, Jason's turn, I think. Oh, my turn. Okay. So number three. Oh, I love this. It's form a strategic vision and initiatives. And it says shape a vision to help steer the change effort and develop strategic initiatives to achieve that vision. So Ooh, that, these are too many uh, wishy-washy words for me. Oh no! I love this. I, oh, this! I love this. This is this is. I I I, uh, I, so, I think vision. I think vision is a good thing, but when you start putting the word strategic in front of it, strategic vision and initiatives, uh, things are getting a little too. Does it start sounding like a uh, a mission statement that exactly. nobody really? No, wants? exactly. No, no. So here's what we're gonna do. Okay, we're gonna, all right. So we're gonna, shape a vision to help steer the change effort. What what is that? What does that mean? So we're going to gamify this. We're going to get at, we're going to get the the coalition involved and the executive sponsor, and we're going to build with Lego a model of what the vision is. And so we are going to build an abstract model of the future 
once this this opportunity has been achieved. So that's our goal, and we'll have fun. We will build it with Lego. And if you've never built a, a vision with Lego, you don't know what you're missing. Or you could build it with other things too. But I like Lego. That- I, I I built a vision a vision with Lego once, and it had a lot of laser guns on it. <laughs> okay, well that's, that's a, not, put it this way. Lasers are fun. <laughs> but here's what I love. And then initiatives. So vision is a high level. It's a long lasting idea of where we're going. Initiatives then start to chunk out the specific. I mean, call them. Yeah, to be their initiatives, but some people think of them as like projects, but all of them should be measurable. So this, this to me gives you a high level action plan between vision of where we're going that was defined by the group, not by one person defined by the group is very important to get, you know, to make it a team based approach or an open, an organization based approach. And then initiatives, you know, some of the actionable things of how we're going to get there. I, I, initiatives is another one of those words that just gets me just <laughs> well, crawls under my skin. It, it's an effort, right? Well, it's well, an why effort. Do we need, why, what, what's different than an effort? Or are we just trying to use synonyms to make it sound fancier? Well, we have to ask John Cotter before his motivation on the word initiatives, but I, I will share my definition of it. Every, for something to be an initiative, it has to have a KPI. Uh-huh. so it has to have a way you can measure it so i need to if, find i need to find things on the internet that say kpis are killing companies uh, well so put it this way a vision is an idea it does it's long lasting and it's a vision it's not measurable but an vision should be supported by an initiatives in my opinion this is a jason statement for an initiative to be for its initiative to be valid it must have a kpi and this is hard to now talk about because unless we have an example of a vision with initiatives, it's hard to talk about what those KPIs might look like. But. Okay, so, so the vision is sort of a, a long-term goal that's a little more nebulous, and then the initiatives are shorter term, like probably one year, maybe two, maybe half a year. Is that generally the case? Uh, that and or, you know, I'm thinking of, you know... So- more concrete. I guess to me, if, if, I, if I'm going to try to kick through this here, like if say our significant opportunity is decreasing, is enabling our organization to release product to market faster. Okay. Because there's lots of business impacts, that, business, Wait, business was, was benefits. That's the vision or the initiative? That was the, that's the significant opportunity. Okay? okay. So then our vision is some creative thing about all the awesome things that will happen in our organization once we're able to get product to market faster. An initiative then would be maybe doing some type of virtualization and deployment automation, which we could actually measure by saying right now, the amount of time it takes us to release, to to push a release to production is four days because we have to execute a manual regression test every time we push the prod because our our UAT suite is not automated. So an an initiative could be, we're going to come up with an automated UAT capability so we can push to prod in less time. Make sense? So I... Yeah, I think I, I'm starting to see the difference between Kaizen and this then. And, and, and I have a bit of a problem with this. So Kaizen is sort of like you're continuously approving, improving at every level. And this seems like you're pushing it down on people again. Because this is a group of people saying, hey, we need to automate so we can get things out faster. And it doesn't sound like the people that well, are in charge of doing that automation or the people that are doing the work that's being automated. It doesn't sound like the, the right people are involved here. Well, we'll and, ha- and, 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 and I'm sure that's not 
supposed to be the case, but when it's put in these broad strokes, you know, strategic and vision and initiatives, it feels to me like that's coming from the wrong direction. Okay, so so let's rewind here. Okay, so step one, the sense of urgency, the significant opportunity. Usually, I'm going to say that is and that's probably an executive leadership opportunity. Like they will say, hey, here's this thing we think we might need to do. Let's see if we can build a coalition. Then executive leadership would go and invite people to lead the coalition. And they literally, it's an invite. It's not, no, no, Craig, you're going to do this. It's Craig. We have identified this significant opportunity. Would you be would you be willing and have the power and energy to be part of this effort? And so you're invited. And, and so I offer my thoughts on how I can change. Yes. Then most you, likely my own department. Yes. So then you come. Okay. Then you okay. come to our big Lego build fest and we build the Lego model of the vision. And we say, great, we have a vision. How are we going to get there? And to keep to basically to help leadership manage risk, we define ways that we will measure the progression of each of our initiatives to keep us focused on working towards the vision. I, I think my problem with the word strategic is it makes it sound like it's above, it's like company wide when a lot of these initiatives are kind of be kind of going to be closer to department wide. Yeah. Well, put way, it's gotta, it's gotta go down to somewhere where things will change to support whatever the opportunity is. Okay, I'm good with moving on if you guys are. Okay. So now we get to the one I think that will... Craig, you should read number four because this is where I think your concern gets mitigated. Okay, cool. Uh, Number four, enlist a volunteer army. Raise a large force of people who are ready, willing, and urgent to drive change. Ooh, I love that one. So this is where, like, Craig, you would say you're part of the coalition, and Lee, and you'd say, hey, world, you know, go out to your, you know, your wiki, your intranet, your SharePoint, whatever you got, and say... Here's this awesome idea we have. You put a picture of your little Lego vision thing. You do. You put a. You put the video of your elevator pitch that you've put up there, and you say anyone who is interested to help out and believes that they have value to contribute, please come to our. You know our lunch and learn and learn about this thing from us. I and, I love it. Except I almost feel like the volunteer army should have been put before the strategic vision. Like I think you might be missing out on. Maybe I'm thinking too small, though, like that volunteer army is all going to have things that they think are going to help. And but we've kind of already decided what we're going to work on before that. And and I don't know if. So, if so here's sort of question. thinking outside of the box is, is allowed at the, at the volunteer army level. So here's a question, um, and it's mainly to you, Craig. Um, and I've kind of struggled with this as well, because we can we can go into an organization and say you should be empowering all your employees and they should be pushing the change and that should be their visions and that sort of thing. And that's awesome. But unfortunately, if you, if we were to take that to its, its logical limit, then every person would be doing their own thing and we wouldn't have any focus on some small set of things that the group can do better together than individuals can do alone or smaller groups can do alone. I, I, I like that perspective. I think this is sort of giving that perspective, but not the alternative, right? Like everyone should be changing their own environment to improve their own workplace. Um, but yeah, there should be both, I think. 
Well, and I think, and this way, having had the privilege to go through this a few times, Cotter's framework here, uh, there's a feedback loop once you get volunteers involved. The, the key and why it's important to have the vision initiatives before you recruit the volunteers is it, it demonstrates that you have an achievable concept. Because if you say, hey, here's this high-level idea that no one has sat down to think about any ways to even get it started, who wants to come help out and, and get involved? A lot of people will say, I got better things to do. And let's, so, have a, let's have a big lunch and learn. We don't know what we're for, aiming at. We want all kinds of ideas. Uh, well, we're aiming we're at gonna being go, better. We're going to well, go do it. Lee, I mean, I, it, I, see, I see what you're saying. Lee, once upon a time, I, you and I were both with an organization that did an internal cultural initiative. And we like literally had the kickoff lunch and learn where we tried to enlist the volunteer army. And there was no, there was this, the opportunity was, hey, let's better define our corporate culture. Was there a vision of where we were going and what it might look like? No. Were there any specific projects or anything defined to corral and let people demonstrate if they were interested in volunteering that there would be a good ROI on investing their time? Not really. So if you put these things in place, it creates a, a place where people can engage. And I think at that point, you got to assess what you got. If, if someone gets involved in, oh my gosh, they have more power and energy to contribute and they're a volunteer than one of the co members of the original coalition. If you're a good leader and you believe in servant leadership, you're going to leverage that, but you're not going to know that until you, you create that engagement point. Absolutely. And I think the important part here is as a potential volunteer, I don't necessarily want to expend my effort on something unless I feel like it's actually going to have an impact and I'm actually my return on investment is actually going to be uh, uh, worth my effort. Oh, plus one on that. That is stated so well there, Lee. Yeah. And, and that's where I think this way. I think there, this is a this way between steps three and four here. There is a, a difficult, a difficult challenge to not make the initiatives that are defined by the initial coalition become too prescriptive. Because what you want to do is get the volunteers involved and be able to say, hey, who wants to work on this initiative? The, you know, the automating the UAT thing, as I used before in the other example. And hey, okay, you guys go work on that and go figure it out. So they have a high level goal and we have a high level way to measure the value they're providing. And that's about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently working with a, an Agile uh, Champions team and their current structure is very prescriptive and, and we're trying to get away from that. So that's a good thing. Okay. Hey, so let's see here. Number five. What, Lee, you read number five. Enable action by removing barriers. I, I really like this one because I think this is the quintessential, uh, the quintessential uh, definition of servant leadership. Uh, remove obstacles to change, change uh, systems or structures that pose threats to the achievement of the vision. To me, this is primarily what a servant leader does is, uh, is get, get things out of the way of their, of their people. So I've, I've worked in a medium sized company that acted like a big company and man, it, it was just painful to see this happening that there were processes in place that weren't necessary for that size of company. And, and they were just, they were literally obstacles to, to, to functioning like the company should have been. So I, I, I also think removing barriers is, is the job of a manager. Um, if, if I have a problem, 
first of all, if I have a problem, I, sh- I feel empowered to fix it if I can. It's when I can't, that's the only time I need to go to my manager, right? Well, that, that and the other, the other key thing here is there is, I want to say there is a breakout of roles here within Cotter's change leadership model between the coalition and the volunteer army, as he calls it. The volunteer army are the people that you're asking to, you know, share their efforts to address the initiatives. The coalition, the people in the coalition, which are separate really from the volunteers, are intended to support server leadership. And hey, so the volunteers find a problem. Guess what? Coalition, go take care of it. Coalition needs help from leadership. Coalition should be able to get, you know, get influence from leadership to get things out of the way. Is that an okay breakout of kind of roles and responsibilities here? Yeah, that, that sounds sounds pretty reasonable to me. I mean, I mean, the thing that I guess I like about this is it's kind of like as as I'll channel my inner Amos. It's what I like about Scrum Masters. It's that you have a dedicated role on a team that is there to both reactively and proactively remove impediments to ensure that it gets done. And, you know, otherwise it's like if someone's, you know, kind of like if the, if the if the team doesn't really embrace the scrum master role, it's like, ah, we'll take care of that tomorrow. Ah, we'll take care of it tomorrow. Next thing you know, it never gets done. So it's I like that there's a specific focus and that Cotter called this out because the key thing is once you're you're relying on volunteers, if people encounter any resistance, they're very quick to give up and, and disengage. Uh-huh. Well, I think that moves us into number six there. Uh, I'll go ahead with that one. Number six is generate short-term wins. Consistently produce, track, evaluate, and celebrate volumes of small and large accomplishments and correlate them to results. I, I love that. This, is, this sounds very agile, you know? Short iterations and um, your, your main metric is uh, delivering software, or in this case, delivering change. Well, or in this case, keep in mind, if we have an initiative and people are working towards wins on an initiative... They would have a KPI, at least again, that's my my definition. So you would from from the get-go, you would be able to demonstrate results. I think, Craig, to your point, this is very, very Kaizen, because it talks about the idea of figuring out how to take a big, a big change and chunk it out into small initiatives so you can see some results faster and you can recalibrate as needed. So everything that I've done in development in the past five plus years tells me that the smaller things are the way to go, whether that's smaller stories, smaller methods, smaller classes, everything I seem to learn, I keep learning, make it smaller. Iterations. If you can move from a three week iteration to a two week iteration, do it. So Lee, how about you? What you got a short term win story? Short term win story. Um, I don't know. Nothing pops into my head. I, I was, as you guys were talking about making it smaller, making it smaller. The only thing I could think of is, can we get down to a plank iteration? What's a plank? You know, plank time. Oh, because, the plank scale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's pretty small. So, so that's funny that I did say that we always try to get smaller and I fight Amos on the one hour pair switch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and ultimately the thing that I do like about this is that if for some reason you had defined initiatives and you didn't define a way to measure them here later on in the process. The fact that, that Cotter is telling people that you should generate short term wins. It means you have to have some way to, you have to put something in place to measure what you're doing. And 
more and more groups that I work with, I don't want to say they're measuring, but they're not measuring enough. And by no means am I saying measure everything, Lee, but it's like, this is really Cotter saying, please measure because there's a whole bunch of science and psychology that says it helps keep people motivated, helps keep people engaged, helps leadership manage risk, helps all these things that, that really just needs to be taken care of. So you mentioned that word motivation, and I think that's more important to worry about keeping people motivated than the actual KPIs or the, or the measurement. It's, it's just making sure people are engaged and motivated. But I think, I think Jason's point is that there's a, there's a connection there. You, you don't, they're not uh, mutually exclusive. Right, right. Yeah. All right, so the next one's next is interesting because it says sustain acceleration. Use increasing credibility to change systems, structures, and policies that don't align with the vision. Hire, promote, and develop employees who can implement the vision. Reinvigorate the process with new projects, themes, and volunteers. So, mm-hmm. this is a big one that I think yeah. we should break this out because yeah. who's got something they want to start with? I, I'd, I'd like, I'll start with the first part there. Uh, well, the, the, the main thing is sustain acceleration. I think that's somewhat self-explanatory, uh, but the, the rest of it is how to get there. Increasing credibility to change systems. Um, I've got several stories of this. Um, uh, one story is a team where we were delivering, I think every week, maybe every other week. And we basically built credibility that we were able to deliver every week consistently and we're like, well, you, you've got this bug and you want this bug fixed right away. We can, we can get that to you by, you know, tomorrow. And can, can we deploy that tomorrow? And they're like, yeah, we really wanted that bug fixed tomorrow. And we build that credibility until we got to basically deploying every day. And then basically we got to continuous deployment. And that was all by increasing credibility. We, we showed them results they started believing in us and we could, we could accelerate the pace of those results. And it's a great thing to get to. See what I, what I think about Craig with that first one is the um, it's, this is how you get buy-in. It's, it's saying that, you know, so you're trying to do something faster and maybe there's like a security policy or something that, you know, which I I can, that seems to be pretty common in the agile space. It's like agile you know, people promoting Agile want to release more frequently than security can support. And so you, you know, you, you have a quick win where you demonstrate that you're able to release and the world doesn't end, the system that is remains intact, you know. And so that's how you would create... That's what the, that's what the hackers want you to think. Well, <laughs> that's kind of true. I mean, zero days. Well, security, uh, there's a zero day. Uh, we can get that patched next Tuesday. Uh, well, there's a bit of a security conundrum there, isn't there? Um, so I like how you, you actually went back to number six, the generative short-term wins to, to create that credibility. So six and seven sort of create this um, virtuous cycle. I, I mean, the thing I like about all these steps is there are, there are multiple feedback loops each time you increment the step back to either the prior step or even sometimes steps even before that, which again is designed for this to kind of build. It's designed to build change, momentum, change, inertia. There's all words, but you know, get people involved. So yeah, I'd love to hear a story. If, if there's any listeners out there, you should guys should tweet us. If, if anyone's ever 
done a story where they, you know, they did some like some Kaizen cycles and they they did they got quick wins and they changed the policy. Um, I can't I can't think of a, anything on top of my head right now that's an easy to tell story about that, but I've seen it happen a few times. But it was probably a really complicated scenario, so I'm not even going to try to go there. So let us know if you got a story like that we'd love to share it as, as part of a future episode. So I actually want to ask about kind of the end of that statement of uh, reinvigorate the process with new projects, themes, and volunteers. I'm uh, I'm a little uh, skeptical on whether that can be sustained by by doing that. Or and I think it's probably because I have the the wrong idea of what that means. Um, and I'm hoping you guys can can uh, help me out here. So the thing that I'll share there is uh, having read Cotter's book and the, the the next book that I know we've talked about that came to mind was uh, Jurgen Apello's Ma- uh, Management 3.0, where one of the ideas he has in that book is how an organization should be in a constant state of change. And so what he would say is that, or what we would say, what we're saying here in the Cotter framework is every every change project or change initiative should should have an end so it should be short i mean again you want to have quick wins within the project but the project i mean you don't want to have a five-year change initiative maybe you want to have a one-year change initiative because when the pro when that 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 strategic project is over guess what we're going to go through the eight steps again we're going to identify a new project a new coalition get new volunteers and that's going to keep it all fresh and if anything you don't want the same people constantly volunteering because you want to get new people involved and mix it up because that's where innovation comes from. Not only that, but people that are constantly the change agents in their uh, organization will get tired of being change agents after a while and they just get burnt out. I had a, a blog article I wrote a couple of weeks ago about um, basically too much change and you just get burned out on change. Yeah, or to me, this is where, again, Cotter is pushing back, I want to say, to executive leadership to say that when you define one of these, um, one of these, you know, significant opportunities, you, you, need to th- you need to do your homework and make it something that's achievable within the short term so you can restart this process again. So the other thing that I like about this is it, it, it where I, it puts me, I'll, I'll, um, I'll ask if you guys what you guys think about this because this is the one element of this where I see it kind of maybe going against one of the trending topics in Agile. That being that there's a lot of people in the Agile community that are talking about the benefits of long-lived teams. So like invest to bring a team together and then keep it together for a pretty long period of time so the team learns how to work together and they they build out what they call a mental model, means they can they can collaborate well. And he's kind of going against this. So, yeah, there's also, I think we've talked about it before, uh, the phases of group development and it's forming, storming, norming, and performing. And so those are phases that most groups tend to go through. So when you're forming, you know, you're starting to get to know each other and figure out how you work. And when you're storming, you end up finding out that there's differences between team members and you need to figure out how to work together before you can get to the, the norming and the performing phases. Well, the problem is it's a, it's all about group dynamics. And if you add a new person to the group, you kind of go back to the beginning in some ways and you're back to, to, to forming and storming. And so you're not back in that performing stage every time you add someone. So yeah, there's some, some potential issues there with that. 
Well, I think the bottom line here is probably, and I mean, this this is simple advice that I think anyone can can probably figure out is that you don't want to become too stagnant. So every organization and or team should be in some type of a change cycle, either by changing the focus of the team and or changing the the people on the team and ideally maybe figure out how to do that where you still have some continuities, which again, this idea of going through these eight steps, by the time you get to the end, you've achieved that initial um that initial significant opportunity we talked about. And at that point you can identify another significant opportunity and start again. Where I want to go before we move on is I want to talk about the little snippet that was in the middle here that says hire, promote, and develop employees who can implement the vision. That's awesome. Let's talk about the converse case of that. What do you do with the people that you may already have in your organization who don't meet that criteria? Oh, I, I put my a note to talk about this. I figured it would be at the end. Um, change resistance. We, we talked a little about change burnout already, but change resistance is, is, a, is a huge issue. I mean, people don't like to change, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, and that's where I guess I'm just thinking about literally if you if you have if you're running multiple change initiatives through this framework and you've just got a few people that you can identify who haven't volunteered for anything, mainly because they're just kind of doing their own thing. What do you do with them? I mean, I, I, I will share personally, I have never had this problem. So I. Oh, I we I've had it. I see it a lot at my current employer. Well, to be or, fair, or actually a team I'm working with, and um, it's a problem because the people pushing change see the people resisting change, and they're like, "Well, what's the point?" If and the the good people that are pushing for change tend to leave a lot faster than the people that resist change, and it's it's a struggle. And actually, Craig, thinking a little more about my scenarios. It's interesting because I've had people where I know they haven't been involved as someone leading change. I was I kind of had wished they'd be involved. But again, you can't force it, which is the whole emphasis behind right. Cotter's model here. Right. Well, but the, but, the, but the, the sense of urgency and the motivation it, it helps. I, I, I think this is a way forward a little bit in, in those terms. Well, but what I was just going to say is so what was interesting is we successfully used this framework with having those people there that kind of didn't ever get involved and eventually thinking about it, they effectively were impacted by the changes that did occur. And they effectively at that point just complied. So it's like, yeah, I don't want to, I mean, kind of if I had to describe their persona, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to volunteer because I really don't care, but okay. These are all these other people got involved. They changed this thing and well, so what I'll deal with it. And they peer, pr- peer pressure. Yeah, and so it, I guess what I'm kind of backing my way into here is saying that I think so, in some instances it may be okay if you have some people that really don't don't really care about volunteering as I, long as they agree to respect the outcome of the process. I, I think that works in your organization where the number of people that are change pushers is greater than the the change resistors. When when that number is skewed the other direction, when you have more people, or even I'd almost say a quarter of people resisting change changes that dynamic enough that, that it's just, you know, it's, it's banging your head against the desk sometimes. Um, but, I know it, but, I know it will, will feel like that sometimes, but I, I think that's when you just have to have more patience 
it, <laughs> it doesn't always work, but, uh, but more patience will often, uh, as long as you just keep at it, so, it'll pay off eventually. Well, so, so bigger picture, I mean, you have to work with the army you have, not the army you wish you had. Right. But a lot of ways it's about culture. You know, it, you, you need a culture of change. And, and I think that's what point number one, that sense of urgency is, is trying to foster, but you almost have to create your organization with that culture. We have to create it, you have to lead to it. But, but Craig, what I was going to, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to add later though. Well, and the key thing I was going to say about that you just mentioned about having enough people on at least three occasions, when I went through this process, after I learned it, we got to a point when we, we literally were enlisting the volunteer army. And we said that for what we were trying to do, the members of the coalition, we didn't feel that we had enough volunteers to be successful. And so really before we started working towards our wins, we we recruited, we waited to start until we felt we had enough involvement to be successful. So that's an interesting scenario. And I'm, and I'm sure we did that because we just said, okay, the, you know, the people, the, the coalitions bought in. We've got a dozen volunteers, but we're trying to influence like a few hundred people with this big idea that's going to hopefully, you know, change the world. And we don't have enough people to be successful. So guess what? Our, our, our immediate volunteer initiative is recruit a friend. <laughs> so so you, you'll uh, I, I'm glad you said that because that actually leads right into what I was wanting to say, because I I've um, been in positions where. Uh, especially for like a, a coaching situation where the, you're the only person pushing at the beginning. And then you have to almost pick out the, your target um, of I'm going to convince this one person, pick out the easiest person to convince. Right. And you're, you're working with them until you've pretty much got them on board and you've got them in the habits and you, and you're, you're doing the, you're making the change and they've bought in and then you can support them and then pick out another target and they're going to start spreading it as well without you necessarily having to recruit a volunteer army. It just takes a lot longer to do it that so, way. So, so I think we mentioned that, that, uh, that way of doing things in a, in a recent episode and someone said it was, it was picking off the weak members of the herd. Yeah. Or the strong members in this case. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So our our we and, and with that we've made it to the last step of the uh, the change leadership framework. So which is institute change. Who would like to read the definition? I'll, I'll okay. take this one. Okay. Um, articulate the connections between the new behaviors and organizational success, and develop the means to ensure leadership development and succession. Were there actually any words in there? I, I'm curious oh. how we how we have an instituted change when we're already accelerating change to number seven. Yeah, what, what, okay. What is what are we adding here with number eight? Yeah. We're, we're saying other than an even number. Okay. We're saying tell <laughs> the story is what I we're like saying. Seven number a seven step process better. Well, no, but 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 I I, I know. Go ahead. Well, it's tell the story, and I guess I've seen this all happen, and I, I'll admit I've been I've been guilty of it. It's like, hey, we got it done. We've changed the process. We got people bought in. We're ready to move on. And the only people that know about it are the people that were directly involved or directly impacted by it. And what is lost then is the story of 
to inspire others to either get involved once you move on, or maybe to inspire others to say, hey, that group of volunteers did that. We could do something like that too. And it's like you need to sit down and write a like a internal press release about it or do you know go on a road show and i think that that's um so we we already have uh, basically celebrating in number six which which is a little so we're kind of this almost seems like consolidating your wins like okay we we've we've made our wins now let's go spread it around to other people and show people how we did this what we did and sort of go back to the beginning and uh, g- gather gather more momentum, gather more people well, into this keep in this mind, process. This, this is an eight-step iterative process, so the generating short-term wins is really for the people in the trenches, the volunteers doing the work, you know, figuring out how to implement the initiatives and, and show progress on the KPIs. And this is the bigger picture. This that, is the big picture, which okay. ultimately would close out the significant opportunity once the initiatives have been achieved. I think this is... I think that idea is fine. I think this this point is the worst stated of all of them. It, it really doesn't make that clear what, what that it means that. But yeah, consolidating wins and 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 being this that bigger iterative process part of the iterative process is is a good thing. So I I do like the what you're saying, but I don't think number eight does a good job of expressing. I, it. I think there's one other piece here that is really uh, that is actually interesting, and that's that last statement: develop the means to ensure leadership development and succession. So this is um, how do I keep my leaders flowing, uh, preferably from the bottom up. It seems to ensure leadership development, at least that's the way I read that, uh, and succession, um, how how new leaders come in, not because uh, Billy Bob liked to hire his brother, but by people that are actually helping to uh, to support the organization. I, I have mixed feelings about that Billy Bob hiring his brother because we talked about hiring your friends before, and... That's how you build a culture. You find people that have those same motivations and um, as long as they have willingness the, to the move in the same direction. As long as they have the capabilities. Well, I'll, okay, I, I'll say so. That's the difference between hiring, getting your friend hired, and hiring your brother. Right. Right. I, I got it. And with that, we have completed the eight-step change cycle. So, all right. So, well, I, I, I've got a question for you. Then. You got a question, and I was going to. I, I had one thing just that I think I'm, we missed at the onset, which I just wanted to stay here before that, Craig. And that is, so the motivation that Cotter had when he came up with these eight steps is he had observed that you know a lot of organizations had invested in very step-by-step process for change management, and the problem is you cannot use. Industrial industrial revolution management techniques, which are about you know standard inputs and outputs of a process, to do something like drive an organizational change, where effectively when you start, you don't necessarily know where your outcome is going to be. You have to discover it as you go through it. So his goal here was to say, let's come up with a more lightweight, high level process that allows for emergence as people are going through and uh, enables organizations to achieve change really via influence and people volunteering to help out because they're interested and they care rather than by mandating them to change. So, so Craig, what, what, what's your take on now that you've, you've learned a few things about this, what did you want to share? So, so 
I like how this ties in with a lot of different things. It, it ties in with Agile. You've got this iterative. Um, you've got continuous improvement. You've got a lot of servant leadership. A lot of this is actually about company culture. Um, but I think the biggest part you just talked about sort of was removing change management as a barrier to change. You know, change management is just... <sighs> That's all I can say. Well, um, way, way, the best thing it's in the name of this framework. Change cannot be managed. Change needs to be led, period. So so my, my problem is that this, these eight points seem a bit nebulous. But, you know, if you look at the Agile Manifesto, it's the same way. You know, okay, these things sound great, but A, it's going to take a leap of faith. And if I'm going to take a leap of faith, I'm going to need to find people that I trust who've had success with these things. And, and the other thing I'm looking for is more concrete advice on how to move forward with these things. Oh, my God. So, oh. so, so well, that's my question to you. You've, you've actually used this a few times, you said, yourself. So w- what's your story from the trenches? And, and are there more concrete things I can find to help with some change leadership? Uh, well, we're working on a white paper. But, um, again, create a sense of urgency, you know, Organization needs to get a product out the door to reduce operation costs and consolidate mobile platforms, which they they need to do really to they had a budgetary constraint. So that was the sense of urgency. So so realizing that you're behind on mobile might be a good impetus for number one there, right? Yeah. And not having and put us away. Not having a mobile strategy. Put us away. Investing more to keep your antiquated technology online. So you have no investment left to buy to explore anything new. So, hey, we can't afford to invest in anything new because to keep our existing stuff online. So that's a pretty significant opportunity to say, um, yeah, hey, who wants to who's interested in trying to help us figure out how we could get to where we could do some cool R&D? I mean, that's something that people will sign up for that. So then we did the vision of basically where we wanted to go by being able to change this investment paradigm to where we could have an R&D budget by having a centralized mobile practice. And we identified specific initiatives in terms of how we were going to get there by really identifying some projects that where we could start to align different mobile dev efforts so we could get a cost savings on development, which we were which we were anticipating would give us additional investment then for R&D. So again, like, so initiatives were consolidate, you know, identify, uh, you know, think about identifying apps that can be reused, identifying shared code, identifying ways that we can better collaborate on requirements. So instead of building eight separate apps, we build one, you know, things like that were our initiatives, where our outcomes were defining processes to facilitate that type of alignment. And we, at that point, we could measure a KPI on that by showing, hey, we're able to deliver more capability to more users with less investment. Make sense? way that we got there was we asked for volunteers to help out uh, pros and cons to that. Cause sometimes again, you don't have enough people or you don't have the right people and you know, you've got to decide, do we wait or do we move out? And a couple of times I'll share my career. I think we moved out too early and we didn't have enough volunteers to be successful. Other times we waited and we were successful. Uh, you got to keep leadership on board. So if you have impediments, they will that are outside of your control or your authority, you can get help. So have a good feedback loop with your executive sponsor. Uh, Short term wins, uh, lots of measurements. So we've done that. So yeah. So I mean, does that does that help, Craig? I mean, I guess I need to get a, a hard white paper out there for you to read because I've I've yeah. lived this. And again, what I like is it's just enough. It's just enough structure to 
you know, present to leadership. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to get people involved. But it doesn't go into like step one, go to the CCB. Step two, you have a two month pilot. Step three. I mean, it's none of that. (laughs) I mean, we've all seen those. That's dumb. Okay. I mean, that that gives you no flexibility. So how how much success have you had and how much struggle have you had and how many times have you have you done this? And who else have you seen doing it? Um, let's do the, I've put it this way for people I've talked to at conferences. I haven't seen as many people in the, the agile space doing this as I would have thought, but to be fair, I haven't made it like, let's go to the, let's go to lean coffee and talk about it and see if anyone else has done it. I think a lot of people have done elements of this probably without, without maybe going through all eight steps. So one thing I want our listeners to take away from this and something I think a lot of us could share is that you can get benefit from what's in this framework, even if you implement maybe one of the steps or a few of the steps. So the idea of like using Kaizen to generate short-term wins, even at a team level can provide significant dividends. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. And we talked about how a lot of those are already agile type yeah. of practices. So so put this way, Craig, if you're cool, I would love to take this as some homework that I will do some talking to some people and, and come back with some ideas to share about others who have used this. And um, as well as be able to tell a better story about some of my own personal personal experiences in a little more depth than than we yeah. went into tonight. Yeah, I so, mean, I want to hear actual success and in, in failure reports. Well, and, and actually, what I'd love to do is thinking about some work I have going on. I'd love to say, let's take this and you know put it on a Kanban board because it is a it is a seven step process that you could actually have like kind of two lanes. You'd have your you'd have your um your significant opportunity card at the top, and then. Under that, you could have cards for the initiatives that support that. You could kind of move them through the flow here we went through tonight and actually track some metrics on this on a Kanban board uh, would be kind of an interesting experiment. So I'll have to I'll, I'm signing myself up for that. Great. So right. I'll, <laughs> I thought you weren't supposed to take on uh, direct work anymore. No, I could take uh-huh. I, I could the work that I've been asked to do. I can do using this framework so I can address that as well. The other thing I want to share that I got out of our conversation tonight that um, it resonates with a couple other things I've heard recently is find something other than just saying we're going to adopt Agile, you know, we're going to go Agile to drive a change. You know, so find, and this is my, my calling to leadership and or if you're on a team, challenge your leadership to do this. Say, yes, I understand you want us to embrace Agile methods or Agile practices and, value, and principles, but why you know and, and ask them if they'll do the five whys you know and not not within oh we just want to you know do pairing or whatever ask them for business reasons you know and, and and i i would be curious to hear hear if that gets people more motivated to think about maybe tr- adopting a new agile practice because they understand how the benefit that agile practices provides can be linked back to a strategic business change or a business initiative Lee, you got anything out of tonight? Well, I I think uh, that was a good statement. What you were talking about, um, I got a lot of the same stuff. The um, in particular, what I got out of it was that uh, this kind of laid out steps that I think I see organizations kind of natively doing pieces of it, um, but then not necessarily following up. And I, I do think that these steps actually together um, may make a much stronger, uh, may complete the job where where 
one or two pieces, while they might be helpful, you're not going to see uh, measurable differences and sustainable change if you're not using all of them. This week's hottest picks. Craig, what do you got for us? All right. Uh, I got a couple things I came up with during the, our talk. Um, the first one is I was thinking I'm not much of a um, the starter in this movement, um, but I might be a second or third mover, which made me think of Derek Seaver's talk, a TED talk on how to start a movement. And it talks about this crowd that's dancing. And there's one there's one guy in this crowd just dancing by himself. And you're like, well, that's kind of crazy. And then the second guy joins him, you know. And he talks about, you know, what's going through the heads of each of these people and how they affected this movement. And then the third guy joins. And then all of a sudden, everyone's just joining in and it's just this big old dance. And, and it's, it's kind of crazy. So I, I'm saying I'm not that first dancer, but hopefully I can maybe be a second or third dancer on, on this kind of movement. Um, my second pick is um, two uh, little comic strips on um, leadership versus bosses. And, and I'll describe them and they'll, they'll be in the show notes. Um, uh, the first one is, um, some guys climbing mountains and the boss has reached the top of the mountain and, uh, his, his employees are struggling to reach the top and one of them is falling off the side of the mountain. And then it shows the difference uh, of, of, from a boss and a leader. The leader is helping his team. He's pulling them up and helping them reach the top. And the, the other picture is similar. Uh, it talks about, it, it's got the, at first the, the boss is, um, is sitting on top of the business and he's got his three workers pulling him, um, pulling like stones, uh, building the pyramid. Uh, so that's the boss. And the leader is, is actually joining and pulling the business forward with the, the other three workers. I, I think those do a great job of showing, showing leadership and that, that fits in pretty well with our topic tonight. Visual metaphors are always great. So, okay. So I'll, um, I'll share a few here. So, uh, first and foremost, a book, uh, Leading Change by John Cotter. Uh, there's an updated version of it that talks through the eight steps at much more depth than we went into tonight, including some ways to get started uh, at a little more detail than we went into. So check that out. We'll put a link where you can check it on Amazon. Uh, another book that I'm going to plug, uh, I was at, uh, we'll talk about Big Apple Scrum Day in a moment, but I talked, bumped into Dan Mezik at Big Apple Scrum Day in New York uh, back in uh, June 2015, and his book is called The Culture Game, It's Tools for the Agile Manager. Having read it, doesn't map one-to-one to what Cotter talks about, but a lot of similarities, so... um. And uh, Dan himself is uh, into the whole open space, um, open office, um, you know, kind of had to have a more open organization thing. Uh, so cool guy to check out. But uh, we'll put a link to his book if you want another book to read. Kind of, again, tools for the agile manager, the culture game. So big thanks to everyone at Big Apple Scrum Day that I met that surprisingly listens to this Agile life. It was awesome to meet all you guys, guys and gals. And um, of course, if you like the podcast, tell someone about it and we'll get some more fans. And if you've got a question, comment, maybe about something you heard at Big Apple Scrum Day, let us know about it. Tweet us and we'd love to talk about it on a future episode. So um, that's our uh, desire for you guys to go to tw- uh, tweet us at This Agile Life and ask us a question. And last but certainly not, not least for Lee. So at Big Apple Scrum Day, I shared a lovely listing of over 30 metrics in addition to velocity that could help Scrum or Agile teams. So uh, lots of people have told me it was very helpful. Uh, So I'm going to put the link and 
Lee, you can go out and download it and decide if you like any of my 30 plus metrics and you could use them on your team. So I, I am looking forward to that, Jason. I am uh, I am just waiting for that link. It has great ones like the happiness metric and our favorite one I'm actually <laughs> tracking. It has what we call phone a friend stats. And that's like when someone leaves your team and you have to like you keep track of how many times you have to call them back because you need, you know, they, you couldn't figure something out. And the idea is it's kind of like a wall of shame because ideally you want to make your work transparent. You want to share things. So lots of fun stuff. Um, so we'll check it out. Links in the show notes. What have you got, Lee? Well, mine has absolutely nothing to do with Agile, aside from the fact that it's part of my constant improvement is uh, constantly asking questions. And and part of that, there's a cool conference coming up in August called Gateway to Reason, and it's at gatewaytoreason.com. It's a conference all about science, politics, philosophy, comedy, lots of cool stuff, some great speakers. Check it out, if you're, especially if you're local in the St. Louis area. Uh, you don't get conferences like this that often. So July 31st through August 2nd. So your first pick was asking good questions. I love that. And for those that aren't from St. Louis, anytime you ever see a conference that has the word gateway in it, it's in St. Louis typically. (laughs) And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have time for on this episode of This Agile Life. We thank you for listening. And most importantly, we value your feedback. So look us up online at www.thisagilelife.com or tweet us at thisagilelife and we would love to hear what you think about this episode and of all of our episodes and we would love to have some ideas for the things you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Thanks for listening and keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.